0: you know here are some people who are looking at the prophecies they're looking back to God and they're saying hey wait a minute god is fulfilling his prophecy and we can go home
1: hello this is the adventure through the bible podcast my name is Matt joining me today are our friends Karen yes and Tracy good morning And Amy. Good morning. Hey everybody we're here finally we are here. We have hopefully our hardware issues for the morning worked out and we will have a a fruitful episode Uh, instead of instead of fighting inside uh, boy okay the software isn't working either apparently. (laughs) (laughs) My brain is not engaged. (laughs) We've been having some issues this morning with our recording and And uh, we we think it got it all worked out So, But hey guys, I'm so excited And people, you have no idea How excited about this, listeners I am so excited about this We got an email A real live email (laughs) A real honest Email (laughs) And I feel awful Because this person uh, Jordan from St. Louis Wrote to us in June And here we are recording in Uh, The beginning of August and Jordan, I, I wrote to you and apologized to you, but I wanted to say it to you on the podcast as well. I am so sorry for taking so long to get back to you on this. Frankly, I'm just not used to people actually emailing us and. (laughs) <laughs> there it is. There it is. And and, and there it is. Um, so I hope Jordan. No, oh, Jordan! I hope you didn't think we were ignoring you, and that you're still listening because we are so excited. I am so excited that you wrote into us because it is a huge uplift of my spirits to know that this is actually getting to people who actually listen and and want to interact, and it, it it is super cool. And so I would like to read Jordan's email here. So Jordan writes, hello, ATTB friends. I like that we're friends. That's cool. I just wanted to thank you guys and Karen for recording such incredible conversations about the Bible. I have been on this adventure with you all for a few months now, and it has given me such a better understanding of the scriptures I am reading. I have a few questions I'd like to get your opinions on. One, if humans knew the will of God, do you think we would try to manipulate the final result? I feel like as humans, the temptation to fulfill God's will through our own human ingenuity is a product of our tendency for instant gratification. I have often caught myself trying and speed up the fulfillment of God's plan by doing what I think will produce the quickest result. However, it has only produced impatience and anxiety. I have to remind myself to let God do this thing and just enjoy the ride. Thoughts? So let's answer that question first. I, uh. I I answer, I actually wrote to Jordan and and said that absolutely I have uh, the same issues uh, often of wanting to speed up processes and thinking that I know where the result needs to go. But how about the rest of you?
2: Yes.
3: <laughs> <a> yes. <laughs> yes. To, like I it's the, thing. There, the first thing that comes to my mind see, is, Yes.
0: The first thing that comes to my mind is, of course, Abraham. Right. Like Abraham has been promised the son of promise, right? And he thinks, well, actually I'll I'll sleep with my concubine and, or, you know, actually my wife's servant and maybe I'll get a baby that way. And wow. Talk about forgetting that God probably has a plan.
4: (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, I,
4: I, oh, go ahead.
2: Um, I was going to say, I, I think that that happens with us individuals on a small scale. But I think you could probably broaden that and say, you know how it, there's that text in the Bible that says, you know, you, you, you say that you believe you do well, even demons believe and tremble, right? I, I would say it probably expands to the supernatural realm with the devil as well. I think probably everybody who is under God's timeline and gets frustrated with it, fights the urge or doesn't fight the urge and just gives in to the to the the feeling like I need to manipulate this I need to manipulate this for my benefit or I know I'm doing something wrong and I would really like to sidestep the results or why can't this thing hurry up and my intentions are in the right place but I'm now going to do something I shouldn't with the best of intentions right and I think that can happen in multiple ways but yes I absolutely agree
1: yeah no absolutely actually I actually spoke at church about this here a while back but uh uh it, it's all uh, and maybe maybe you were there for when I did this one it was all about us having we bought a car my wife and I bought a car and the thing almost instantly had problems for us and uh my reaction to the dealership was well let's just say less than stellar, <laughs> and uh, having to oh, having yeah. to learn having to learn through the process of it that and it's cost me a bunch of money, but learning the process that I am not God and I cannot manipulate the way, outcomes of things. And, and I have to just let, sometimes you just have to back up and, and, and turn it over and let God take care of things because, you know, I get this tendency a lot of times to imagine in my head how something ought to go. And then when it doesn't go that way, I flip out and, uh, so I think it's a very human tendency. It's a very, uh, yeah. I think it's probably common with a lot of us yeah. to want to want to do that, and um, it just doesn't really work out for us very often, very often if ever. You know. So, so Jordan, I would say you are in good company with that one. So don't feel terrible about it. But um, I think we can all agree it's something that we all have to work on. And then Jordan's second question, can the Bible become an idol? That is yes. an interesting question because, yes, absolutely. yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question because we want to use the Bible to point us to God, to Jesus, to uh, learn more about them. But, you know, can it become, can it get to the point where it is in itself becoming our focus? And yeah, I agree. I think Karen said yes. And let's see, Amy, what you got to say?
0: I was just thinking about John chapter five in verse 39. It says, you, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but mm-hmm. they are they which testify of me. Mm-hmm. And we all know that verse, but I think we, it, you know, we really have to sort of make it personal by thinking about the fact that, man, I'm digging into the scriptures, but I my focus has to be knowing God. Yep my focus has to be if he approaches me with something and says hey have you thought about this or whatever i have to be listening to the spirit Mm -hmm. and and yes the scriptures are our guide and god will never do anything uh that contradicts the scriptures but at the same time the scriptures themselves are just a way to know him
3: right yes i think too i think we've covered this uh maybe a long time ago when we said that almost you can make anything an idol Mm -hmm. and i think it's the motivation that you have behind it you know to to dig in the scriptures are you doing it just you know a lot of times just to gain the overall knowledge for debate purposes or you know kind of like what amy was saying right now is it to try to obtain your own salvation just by knowing the scriptures and lacking that that personalized savior and coming to know jesus in a personal way yeah so yep Well, just
0: just looking a little ahead from from where I was in John chapter five, verse 42 says, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. And um, there was someone in my life that like really, really knew the scriptures, but who would like we would be walking out of church and this person would say, do you see that person, what they're wearing or do you see
4: Mm.
0: what those boys are doing, blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, man, do you love anybody? You know, and um, and so I think sometimes, yeah, knowledge, having knowledge and knowing more than other people can be a temptation. But if there's no love of God in it, it's completely useless.
1: Yeah.
2: So a, a couple of things. I was going to talk about that, that text that Amy read, and that's great. And then the other one that came to my mind was the one that says, you pray with many words, right? Because you mm-hmm. think that you think that that makes means you are heard. So So mm. it's not the form that the worship takes. It is the relationship that the worship is based on, right? So if you think about the love chapter, you know, first Corinthians 13 or whatever it is, you know, I can, I can be a prophet, right? So Paul says cut the best gifts and he talks about prophecy and says he says, you can be a prophet, but if you don't have love, you are nothing more than a noisy cymbal, right? Or a clanging gong. Yep, yep. That's that's a pretty harsh set down. Like you can actually be manifesting the fruit of the spirit, right? Not all those who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? And in that day, those people will say, but we did this and we did this and we did this in your name. And I will say to them, go away. I never knew you. So. Now we we humans, now my my thing about idolatry is that it is particularly easy for us humans because God is not physically present with us. So it is easy for, is it it becomes easy for us to orient to physical things that are in front of us or around us, things that we can reach out and touch or do, I think that those can easily distract us from the fact that our Lord and Savior and Creator is not here with us. That, you know, that engagement in a relationship has to be done in faith, because in this present stage of the world, we don't have anything more than that. And that is why you end up with religions that say, no, 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 it's a good thing to pray, it's a good thing to be forgiven, and so for this sin... You need to say these words repetitively this many times, and that is how you will, you know, prove your sincerity and and be forgiven. As opposed to Jesus, who just said, go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're easily distracted by things that are lower than God because we're looking for God. And so our heart can absolutely be in the right place, but we end up connecting with something down here in the tangible realm And that feels more real to us than the intangible God that we are actually seeking. And so it gives us the feeling of connection that we want. And so we buy into it. And with that in mind, absolutely anything can become an idol.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know, I guess that may sound strange coming from a group of people who love theology. I mean, we do this because we love the theology, but we love the theology because we love the Jesus that the theology points to. We always have to keep in mind that this is pointing us to something greater. This is the Bible in itself is not the be all end all. It's the Jesus that it points to and yeah. and becoming more like him is the goal. And the Bible is simply a tool to that end. So so a great question. And uh, yeah, we've all we've all I think we've all seen it happen with people. Um, yeah. getting getting just wrapped up in theology and then forgetting the love and forgetting the relationship. and and um, yeah, it's probably happened to us at times, too. So
2: well, and remember in the Old Testament, like Eli, you know, Eli was, you know, this priest, and he's so preoccupied with his priestly duties that he didn't even parent his children correctly. And so his children are just horrible. There's these Mm -hmm. horrible creatures. And so his service to God became his main focus at the expense of his children. Like we humans can get anything out of proportion. Just give us 10 minutes. We'll screw it up some way.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Some of us more than others.
2: We're
1: all Yep. (laughs) Jordan, once again, thank you for the for the email and the questions, as you could see. Uh, very thought-provoking. They've they, they've gotten us uh, going here for a while, and uh, very very good questions. Excellent. And thank you again for for uh, your email. Well, shall we get into our discussion for our topic for today? Let's do it. We are beginning today the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra, from everything I could tell, Ezra was kind of a contemporary of Daniel because he's. It seems like Ezra is writing about things that are happening while Daniel was in Babylon. And as you'll see, these are things that are corresponding with what now is happening back uh, in Jerusalem. So the book begins in the first year of Cyrus, who we've talked about a bunch. And interestingly, Ezra says that the stuff happens. I'm going to say it. He says that the prophecies of Jeremiah would be fulfilled. To me,
3: it just... when I started reading it and got into it, it was like we took a step back in time through another perspective. Yes. Like let's rehash, you know, where we've been and where we've gone already. And let's go back and look through it at, with, at an, with another set of eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, this is one of the th- reasons why I'm really, really enjoying us doing this chronologically because having been through the Bible before, it was very hard to know where you're at in the history of things. And, And you can read things and, you know, you could read, you know, so that here where it says, so the uh, uh, prophecies of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. But Ezra comes way earlier in the Bible as it's laid out than Jeremiah. So if we hadn't, if you're reading from cover to cover, you'd be reading Ezra and going, well, I haven't, I don't even have any idea what's happened with Jeremiah. And so, so I really love doing this chronologically.
2: So along that same thought... Many years ago, way back when I lived in Alaska, I found this book called The Book of God. And it was the Bible rewritten as a novel. I've heard of it. Yeah. And so I found it very engaging in a a different kind of way. The main difference that it made in my thinking is that I had always read the Bible cover to cover style. I had never thought to study it through chronologically and watch the story unfold that way. So it turned into this sort of broad, sweeping unfolding of the gospel in a way that I hadn't thought about it before by putting things like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther later in the, in the story, you know, after the major prophets. But one of the things I noticed, okay, so the book of Ezra starts off, the opening sentence, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order mm-hmm. to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, right? Okay, so there's that. That's straight out. But then if you go to Daniel 10, so this, these these men are contemporaries. Mm-hmm. So that's first year of Cyrus. Now, if you go to uh, to Daniel 10, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Right? Mm-hmm. So these guys, they're, they're contemporaries. Yep. I thought that yep. was really cool.
1: Yeah, it is. It is cool. Uh, you know, I, I've I've been starting to notice that as we get closer to the New Testament, it seems like more of these prophets keep referring to each other here because we talk about Jeremiah. We know that this was happening during Daniel. Who else? Uh, Ezekiel. I think we were Daniel. We were noticing that Daniel was doing things at the same time as Ezekiel. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And everybody's referring to each other, and that was that's super cool to me.
3: You know, I was thinking too about. How we want to always to me before we started this journey, I was thinking a lot of times that there were only one prophet at a time. Mm. Where this one is kind of sends that home to where we always want to build, like, oh man, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one that's out here talking. To God. No, no, no. I have 5,000 others that haven't bended a knee. And this is yes, what kind I of, thought that maybe, was cool. Yes, there's there was other prophets at the same time. So they were getting it from you know totally different angles. But the same thing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder. It it makes me wonder sometimes if we're missing something now. Of course, you know, we do have a long time in the Bible between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament where there's, like, nothing recorded. Of course, nothing recorded doesn't necessarily mean nothing happened. But um, it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, is there... Of course, you know, when we talk about prophets, a lot of times we're expecting somebody who's going to be like telling the future and whatnot. But, but sometimes a prophet is just somebody who is proclaiming the word of God. And so we need to broaden our perspective on what a prophet is as well. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it. But it is it is interesting to me to see so much interaction, not so much interaction, I guess. But but really this. Uh, these messages being told and by different people at the same time. And then being able to re, uh, relate to each other, because like Jeremiah, I mean, at this point, Jeremiah was a ways back. I mean, Jeremiah was before the siege. Um, am I remembering correctly that Jeremiah was like uh, predicting? Trying to remember.
3: There was there There's there, the there was, was pred- bad things were coming.
1: Yeah, bad things were coming. I'm trying to remember who actually named Cyrus. Before Cyrus, you know what I'm saying?
0: Mm, it was, wasn't it in Ezekiel?
1: Maybe it was Ezekiel. I don't remember. Cause I, I, well, maybe I don't remember, I, but I remember at some point, I think it was Cyrus who was specifically named bef- back before Cyrus was even really known as a ruler, maybe even far enough back before he was born. I don't remember specifically. I remember us talking about that. I think that might've back been back in the Eric days. But um, uh, anyway, 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 getting sidetracked on that. So um, this is just super cool, super cool. Now we're getting we get this proclamation from Cyrus. And I really like the way a lot of the way that think that Cyrus is saying things here, because like he says, God has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And I, I love that Cyrus is acknowledging where his power has come from.
2: Yeah, he even knows that. He knows what Mm -hmm. to call it, and he says it out loud. Like, that's pretty cool for a a strong earthly leader.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if he was at a place where he viewed God as the only God. It seems
2: probably unlikely,
1: but maybe. probably, You know, he may have been seeing him as a God among gods or the greatest among the gods, but uh, just the fact that he's acknowledging this, having as much power as he did, is pretty awesome. But he says he's commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. So now isn't that interesting that God is commanding this king, this, this, I, I, I don't know, is pagan the right word, heathen? I don't know what word to use there, but uh, this king to, to have this, have the temple rebuilt. And so he says that his people, God's people should go to Jerusalem to build. And the, again, he acknowledges God. He says he is God. And anybody who people who don't go, they should support the cause. And uh, so he sends people to go rebuild the temple. You know, part of this that's interesting to me is, you know, this 70 years, we don't get a whole. I mean, we've had a couple of people talking about the 70 years. We don't get a whole lot in the 70 years. I when when we were going to go through this chronologically, I kind of expected us to be spending more time in that 70 years because that was a pretty significant thing. But here we're already talking about them going back. That's just sort of an aside that's interesting in my head.
2: Okay, so here it is. It's Isaiah chapter 44. And um, so starting at verse 24 is this passage that says, This is what the Lord says, redeemer who who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out to the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah. They shall be rebuilt and of their ruins. I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. And that is, and then at the beginning of uh, chapter 45, it speaks of Cyrus as the Lord's anointed. So that's pretty specific.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And I also find it interesting that here where it said of where he says if the temple, lay its, let its foundations be laid. So what we're about to see in Ezra is that after Osiris gives the command, right, to go back, and he says to all of his people, hey, you guys, um, go ahead and contribute to the Israelites. We're sending them back to their country to rebuild their, their cities and their temple. And so all the people, all the Medo-Persian people, contribute to the Israelites as they're getting ready to go back. And then when they get there, the surrounding countries have very mixed feelings about the fact that the Jews are there to rebuild. Because the you know the you know honestly the Hebrews were a pretty uh, pretty sturdy lot when they were in power with God on their side. You know nobody could really stand up to them. So mm-hmm. the neighboring people get upset and they try to intervene and they sort of first they they. First, they come and try to infiltrate, right? So they come and they say, hey, we're so glad to he- see you here. Can we help you rebuild? Because we love your God, too. And we've been sacrificing to him this whole time. And then the Jews are like, no, thank you. We'll do it ourselves, right? So then the people in the surrounding nations, they get upset and they write this manipulative letter to the king. And they say, hey, like these people, once they rebuild, they're not going to pay you. They're not going to pay you. You know, you are the king and you are deserving of all of the tribute and taxes that is supposed to come to you. And when these people rebuild, they're going to become sovereign again and they're not going to pay you. And we really want to defend your rights as king to have that money coming into your coffer. So we just thought that we would warn you. Right. So they do this manipulative little trick. But guess what? That manipulative little trick exactly fulfills this prophecy. Under Cyrus, the foundations of the temple will be laid. In the meantime, the Israelites had laid the foundations. Mm -hmm. And then the neighboring countries write this manipulative little letter. And the rebuild gets halted. And there we have it. You know, prophecy is fulfilled.
1: And the
0: prophecy actually even says, in troublous times.
1: Yeah. 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 And Isaiah was considerably, I mean... Cyrus wasn't even born yet at that point. I mean, oh. I remember. I mean, that's that was a that was quite a while before, which is you know interesting too because God had been warning His people for so long, warning them, trying to warn them, and giving them opportunities to turn around, and and uh, they just they didn't. It just didn't.
0: What I like about this book, even though in a lot of ways it's sort of anticlimactic, like they're finally going back, and yet there's so much trouble that it that it becomes. Uh, It's almost a depressing book um, in some ways. But what I like about it is the fact that finally Israel has learned not to worship idols. Like now they're going to be faithful. They're going to observe every detail of the law and they're going to be this covenant keeping people. And they're finally getting rid of all their pagan contamination. But of course, they overcorrect and. And then we get what happens with the Pharisees later in the New Testament. Like, these are people who are so obsessed with the law. And like Jordan was saying, you know, they they almost make the scriptures an idol. And so they've
2: overcorrected. Right. I would just like to take this moment to point out that in my understanding of the end of the world, the exact same thing is going to happen. <laughs> Just so you know, I really don't think humanity's changed. I think human nature is human nature, and Satan knows how to feed it what it wants to hear. And I think that for every generous, accepting person out there, you can go too far in that direction. And for every purist fundamentalist, you can go too far in that direction. Mm -hmm. And if you think about those two things, that's how the end of the world happens, guys.
1: Yeah, well, you can kind of see it coming with the way our pen pendulum swings we we see oh. it go way one way and then way the other way and it seems like every time it goes just a little further the other way Not and bad. comes back a little further the other way and even to the point where yeah even that re- religious right whatever you want to call them you can see wow you guys are overstepping here a little bit you need to you need to you need to back off and show a little love you
0: know back to what i love about this book is you know, we're seeing that God does fulfill his promises. And so even yeah. though people screw it up, which is what we do every time, um, you know, here are some people who are looking at the prophecies. They're looking back to God and they're saying, hey, wait a minute. God is fulfilling his prophecy and we can go home, uh, which is which is really cool. So, like, if you look at it from that perspective, this book is super interesting because it is the return of the exiles.
1: Mm-hmm. So Ezra two chapter two. Uh, you can read that if you really like reading lists of names. No, um, <laughs> it's
4: uh,
1: it's it's some good historical stuff if you really just want to you know know who went and who did what. I didn't I didn't catch a lot of real spiritual significance there other than the history of the is uh, the people of Israel. Uh, so um, I don't know, not a lot there.
0: A couple of things that did jump out at me though is you know we could look at it and think these people are so obsessed with ancestry and that's not a good thing. Um, Or we could look at it as, okay, but to them is entrusted the lineage of the Messiah and Mm. they're being very careful about that. So that's, that's interesting because they are the keepers of that lineage. And then of course we get like in verse 36, it talks about the priests. So they're very carefully preserving the priesthood Um, And then I found uh, verse 58 so interesting. And I remember running across this a long time ago. These Nephanim. Did you guys Mm. look at that? Yeah. Um, Yeah, so the Nephanim are super interesting. They're essentially orphans or children who are cared for in the temple. And they become the servants of the temple. And and they come up repeatedly in Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, They show up a couple of other places in scripture. But... Uh, it's interesting that they had a way of caring for the orphans, and I think that's that's really something kind of interesting in that passage.
1: That's true. That it is interesting, and I think it's a good thing that gets pointed out there, where these people get cared about, even though they can't prove their genealogy. I mean, they feel like they're part of these people, even though they they can't prove it. But yet, God and the people still allow them in. They say, okay, sure, come along. Uh, we're going to have, you know, we're going to limit some of the things you can do, but absolutely come along and, and you can be a part.
2: I noticed that they were specifically called the children of Solomon's servants. I noticed that too. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh,
2: Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. I think he had enough to keep him busy, but, um, I, <laughs>
3: That's what I was gonna say.
2: <laughs> yeah, that. Mm. Yeah. Mm, 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 no. So I I doubt it was anything like that. It just seemed like, you know, servants. You know, who's to say what happened to the servants? You know, were they were they from other nations? And mm-hmm. so these were. Yeah, yeah. So the you know these were other nationalities, and then you know, I don't know. It was just it was kind of interesting, but these three hundred and ninety-two yeah. people. Are counted and tracked and noted and taken care of. I thought that was super cool. I see
3: what you know. I I highlighted 62, where it was like, I don't know what you guys thought of this, but they were registered by their genealogy. And if they weren't found, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. I know that's
0: super offensive Mm. to our modern sensibilities,
3: (laughs) right
1: yeah you know you know i don't know sometimes you got i think we have to read between the lines there a bit and they're just not i mean there were specific things put out for the priesthood that had to be followed because of what the priesthood represents we've got to remember that priesthood was supposed to represent the future jesus and and so that's why there are things that are very specific and if you don't meet these criteria you can't do it and it's not because we don't like you it's not because you're a bad person it's not because you're gross in any way it's just that you just don't quite fit the bill and oh. so um so, so uh, but uh karen I, go ahead saw you first
2: i um they weren't excluded from the israelites
1: no they were
2: just excluded from the priesthood. And right. if you think about what came along with being included in the priesthood, it was a pretty a pretty nice list of benefits. Like the Levites didn't get land because the Lord was their inheritance. You guys remember hearing that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So like all of their duties were connected to the temple. There were people who cleaned and there were people who all they did was Practice music, and there were people. You know, like that's. There were people who, just. I mean, like you pick a temple duty. There was somebody that did it. There was somebody who kept the oil going in the menorah. You know, like on and on and on. And so, they, and because they didn't get, like, an earthly retirement in the form of land that they could pass down from their benefits, they drew drew income. They drew food and supplies from the offerings that came into the temple so to me it's you have to draw the line somewhere i did not have a problem with this because they it doesn't say that they were excluded from the people of israel it just said that if they couldn't exactly track their lineage and if you if you think back to how aaron's line like everybody who was interested in being you know who wants to be the high priest and everybody puts in their rod and it's aaron's rod that buds and like the levites are established as this line and they always have these special duties it's i see it as protective not exclusive that's excellent mm-hmm. there you go
1: yeah yeah very good very good yeah so um I guess just briefly here it tells us it gives us how many people went which is yeah. you know sort of interesting forty two thousand three hundred sixty people in the assembly plus seven thousand three hundred thirty seven servants two hundred singers and their horses mules camels and donkeys so I, I I get sort of interested in the in the record keeping that they have there of just the the numbers I think it adds some credibility. Uh, to things, that that these historical things were preserved, um, not only here, you know, sometimes if you read, if you have a Bible with notes, and then you can see that, you know, these things are are kept record of in other places, but, you know, specific numbers and things like that, they are interesting for giving some credibility, I think, to to Scripture. As then they, you know, before they actually start building anything, they start reinstituting worship at the site, it would seem, Um, They rebuild the altar and and everything that is happening here. And and you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it seems like they're doing this on the temple site where they're rebuilding the altar. They're reinstituting sacrifices. They're keeping some of those feast days that God had instituted. And it's all happening there in Jerusalem at the temple site.
2: Uh, Yes. Um, So I So at the beginning of chapter three, it said when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. Right. So I immediately went back to chapter one to see what month the thing started in. And it doesn't say that. It just says in the first year of Cyrus. So basically it took anywhere up to roughly a half a year for Cyrus Mm -hmm. to give the command the the, um, the local Medes and Persians to contribute to the cause, which they contributed quite a bit. Cyrus went and got the temple items, the gold and silver temple items, and sent them back with the Israelites. And all, And they went there and they settled into towns. And they took an inventory of themselves and their stuff. And then they built, like all of that happened in about a half a year. Like
1: that's pretty, mm. pretty cool. Yeah, they didn't let any moss grow under their feet for sure. They, uh, they got going. Yeah, and there's a couple things with that. I mean, the speed that they that they took off tells me that they were. I don't know if they were just eager for their freedom or if they were truly eager to want to start worshiping God again. I think they learned the lesson. At least that's the impression I get. Is they learned the lesson that they were supposed to learn by being pulled away. Uh, Unfortunately, like I think it was Amy said, or maybe it was you, Karen. It was me. Eventually, yeah, it was Amy. But um, that they
2: kind of went too far with it. Well, in verse six, in chapter three, verse six, it says, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings. So they've already left, settled into towns. And it says, um, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Like, in this Mm -hmm. case, worship and gratitude came first, which is pretty cool. It is.
1: That's, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and figure 70 years later, most likely a lot of these people were probably children of the people who had been carried off. I mean, I suppose some of them might have been children who were carried off. But, I mean, that would tell me that in the process of having been carried away, that People had been teaching about God and about what he wants. I mean, for them to even have the preservation of these festivals is is kind of uh, uh, interesting to me that they had been passing down things like Passover and Feast of Tabernacles and stuff like that to they had to have been passing this down to their children for them to know what to do when they got back.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting too, because Ezra is actually a Torah scholar, like he's come back to teach his people. And so that knowledge has been preserved. And that kind of made me think about when Paul is, is talking about, you know, being set free and being in Christ and, and those sorts of things. And he says, so what good is it that, you know, for the Jews? And then he says, because to them was committed the oracles of God. And so he, even even in his joy of seeing the gospel, is able to also discern the idea that God somehow wanted his people to preserve these prophecies. He wanted them to preserve the history. Um, he wanted them to understand the law. And, and so Ezra and these people returning have embraced that idea.
1: Mm-hmm. So now we said that they very quickly... Got back to praise and worship, but then it takes them two years to actually start building. It sounds like maybe they were kind of waiting to gather materials and things. I don't think that they were just sitting on their laurels the whole time. I think they were, seems like they were still working toward it because it does talk about how they were, um, You know, giving money to masons and carpenters and and bringing in logs from Lebanon and that kind of thing, which is similar to what we had read with the building of the first temple. Yeah, there's no
2: Amazon here. You can't order cedar (laughs) logs from Amazon and they show up from the local warehouse like they're ordering them to be brought in by sea. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. No overnight shipping. Oh. <laughs> so, but two years later, it's two years later, and I wrote down that this would have been 536 B.C. I don't remember where I came up with that, but uh, you know I'm a really smart guy, so you can believe me. Well,
0: that's <laughs> what I have too, Matt.
4: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. So, but around 536 B.C., they start they start building again, and when that foundation is built, they celebrate, and I, you know, and, and the people celebrated. And this is this hit me as such a contradiction to what had happened before the people had been carried away. Because remember, before they got carried away, that temple had been so abused that it was basically unrecognizable in its function from what it was supposed to have been. I mean, we saw everything happening at that place other than what should have been. I mean, they were literally bringing in idols from other false gods. It sounded like there was like, prostitution happening in there at one point i think we saw that they were using some of the rooms as a stables yes. uh, just they
4: were
0: weeping for Tammuz
1: yeah, yeah yeah and so and so now to see the people celebrating with the rebuilding of this uh with the, you know the beginning just the foundation is built and people are yay you know but uh but not everybody not everybody there were some priests who actually wept over it
0: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Towards the end here, we have these priests and Levites who are, they're old. So they Mm. have seen the old temple and they realize, hey, when the old temple was built, it was glorious. And the presence of the Lord came and we visibly saw the presence of the Lord. And this... This little temple, it just doesn't seem as glorious. And so these other people are celebrating. They finally accomplished their goal. And so in a way, these guys are like killjoys who are not participating in that. They're weeping. Verse 13 says, so the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. See, and I had written down the same thing that, you know, they had seen this. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, they'd seen fire come down. It was it was a big to do. It was it was huge. It let them know that God was with them. And now, you know, they've been overran. Their country's been destroyed and now they're building, you know, their temple. It just didn't have the same splendor, I don't think. And, you know, I think, while it deserves some some recognition and some praise, you know, to get it done. I think they were there maybe as a reminder of former glories. Mm. And even, too, maybe as a reminder of even though, you know, God was with us and we visibly saw it, we still strayed.
1: Yeah. So when you hear about them weeping over it, I was, you know, I was just thinking what what sort of thing would make you weep in in such a situation? Like you said, maybe the glory of the temple is not like it was. Uh, I think it certainly is. And at one point, I think we get some dimensions here of 60 cubits by 60 cubits. And I don't. I didn't take the time to go back and see what the original dimensions were. I probably should have, but that's in my brain, that's considerably smaller than what it was. Are they expressing some more uh, emotion over the whole ordeal? You know, we had to get pulled away from, from, from this for 70 years. And we, and the old one got destroyed and, and, you know, and we're back. And, um, and it's, and it's so much smaller or, and maybe a little repentance. Maybe they were, they were feeling sorrow for this, the past sins that had led them to this position that they were in now, but, uh, just seeing the contrast of, of a respect for this yeah. again, it's hard to say if this was, Oh boy, we get to worship God again. Or if this was a cult, more of a cultural, Oh, you, you know, yay. Israel is being restored. Our, our national heritage is coming back. I, I kind of wonder exactly what was going on. I'm sure there was some of both in the people. But from my my perspective of what I see with a lot of Jewish people today, like we've seen how we, we've talked about here how a lot of Jews are actually atheists, but yet they hold to the traditions and such where it's more of a national heritage. It's more of a,
0: like a cultural thing.
1: Yeah, a cultural um, thing. Than, 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 a spiritual thing, and so kind okay, of. I just, I sort of wonder there. I sort of wonder there what exactly uh, the situation was. But uh, at any rate, they're at least showing some respect towards a temple that hadn't been there before. In chapter four, Karen had already relayed some of this. Some people from the surrounding area started to. Well, they came in. Interestingly, they asked to help to help build and uh they said we seek your god as you do we've sacrificed to him since Esarhaddon king of Assyria brought us here and i looked back i had i did a little research there and they're they're talking about stuff from 130 years before when their ancestors had been um i guess it sounds like these guys these people were probably samaritans uh, at least yes. from Samaria, you know,
3: it and so they were Samaritans.
1: Mm-hmm. And so when the northern I'm uh, the way I'm taking this is as the northern kingdom had been taken apart and dismantled. And the way they did those things was bring new people in that some of these people had been brought into that culture a bit and had learned about God and maybe had tried tried to incorporate God into their worship. But probably they were worshiping. God as a God, not the God.
0: I think this is the source of the tension uh, in the story of the woman at the well, because Mm. the woman at the well is a Samaritan and and she's trying to engage Jesus in this argument about which temple they should worship at, because they go on to build their own temple. And but they're not uh, exact like they're sort of outcasts from all of Judah. And so the Samaritans set up their own system. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because this promised land now has been inhabited by people who were not children of Israel, but yet, like the woman at the well, had learned to to worship God as best they knew. And then, of course, like you right. were alluding to, there they they sort of got shunned by by uh, by the Israelites,
3: by the and true think, Israelites. You know, and every time I think of that, I you know I always think of just for us as as people to remember there's there's good people in every flock.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
3: And not to disregard anyone because God has God has his his um his people throughout all denominations, throughout all cultures.
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this the other day too. I mean, even beyond Christian denominations, I it's a speculation I have, it's a wonder that I have you know, when I was thinking, what was I? watching? I was watching something with some Native Americans, and, and I was thinking, you know, from what I know of Native Americans, they did the best they could trying to, trying to honor, you know, whatever it was that they saw as divine. And I wonder, I, I wonder how God uh, views that, as opposed to the way we have viewed that in the past. You know, did. You know, were they were they reacting to God as God had revealed himself to them and, um, you know, doing the best they could versus versus, you know, just coming up with something new and and making it up as they go.
0: So I had a great grandpa and and he well, we all did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, uh, Poppy was very interested in native culture and he actually went and lived on a Navajo reservation for a while. His um, grandmother had been um, a Sack and Fox Indian, but anyway, he, in his later life, he decided to go study the Navajo language. Um, but he taught us as children that Early on in native culture, there was sort of a pure idea of God, and it has been somewhat corrupted over time because there's been, you know, all these new ideas of God and more of a like spiritualism uh, Mm. type of thing and lots of uh, concern about ancestor worship and that sort of thing. But he used to say that most of these cultures had some sort of idea of the great spirit that was very similar so I, I know that's kind of an aside, but mm. but I really think from you know learning from toppy that that he could see the that in their culture a lot of their ancient stories were very similar to biblical stories, and I found that so fascinating as a child,
1: yeah well, and I think i I think it applies like you said, it's an aside, but I think it sort of applies here because you know I think the Samaritans. Every impression I get is that they were trying, you know, to do the best they could with what they had, which is why Jesus was so accommodating to that woman at the well.
0: Well, a couple of other thoughts, Matt. You know, Jesus said, many sheep have I who are not of this fold.
1: Mm. And
0: then also Paul says there is a light that lights every man that comes into the world. So I really believe God is reaching out to every, every, every group.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect, assuming... We get to heaven. <laughs> I'm 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 going to assume that I will be there and, and the three of you as well. I I, I I don't know. I have a suspicion that we're gonna we there will be people there who aren't even Christian. And I know the Bible says that without how's it put? I essentially that without Jesus you can't you you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven, but or the kingdom of God. But I don't know. It's a it's a it's a bigger discussion probably than we have here today, time for here today. But like you said, God can work through people, whatever their circumstances. And if they respond to that, then that, that sacrifice of Jesus can apply to them as well. Uh, I don't have that all worked out. So please don't take my words and try to make a theology out of it. It's just a suspicion I have that when we get there, we are going to see Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Maybe some pagans, maybe some, you know, who knows? Who knows who we're gonna see there? And we're gonna go, oh wow. And then we'll talk to them and learn and and we'll all we'll all just be like, man, Jesus is amazing. Just fat amazing.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I you know, that verse that says that um oh, how does it word it exactly? Um, there is no name. No other name under heaven whereby you may be saved, mm. referring to Jesus. And um, and so, you know, I was maybe taught to think that it meant unless you become a Christian, you won't be saved. But I read something in C.S. Lewis the other day that was so fascinating because he said uh, essentially— You can't be saved without the ministry of Jesus. So what Jesus did for the world was effective for the world. So it was effective for everyone, whether they hear his name before the kingdom starts or not. And I was like, whoa, that blew me away because that thought has been difficult for me in the past. But just to think of the fact that even if that person doesn't fully comprehend or convert to Christianity or whatever, his ministry was effective anyway.
3: Yeah, and I, and I think that's that where we point. go to. And sometimes I think we tend to overthink it, and we tend to put bounds on it. But we need to remember that God's sole purpose is what did He say? Just to save. Mm. Yes, that's Seeking it. Seeking to
0: save that which was. Yes,
3: there. that's it. It does. Let's not put limitations on it, but let's mm. open it up. Let's make the yeah. circle bigger. Where everybody, you know, there is a way, and Jesus is the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and so with that, when these guys come and and ask to be able to help, I mean, I guess we can speculate uh, all day about whether what, who was it, Zerubbabel and was it, what's his name, Jeshua, whether their response was good or bad. Because the Bible doesn't really tell us here in this text if them saying no thank you was an appropriate response or not. It just records that that was their response. Could they have saved? decades centuries of 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 bad feelings between the two maybe uh but maybe it was a totally appropriate at this time for them to maintain a quote-unquote purity of of the building of this temple so that's what
3: i don't know about and it was and it basically went on to say exactly kind of what you're alluding to now is that you know what it had to be something that they needed to do themselves because if they became intertwined with that and how they were mixing in um Uh, Other practices that weren't that God didn't say they could as far as like Israel, um, then it would have corrupted what was going on then. That's why they said it was what I was reading alluded to to that. It was better that they remain separate for that simple reason.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we go back to when when this land was all being established by God with the children of Israel and he very specifically told them, don't intermarry, don't intermingle, don't bring any of these influences back in. I I can see that as being the motivation here where, you know, we we are not going to allow these other ways to come in now, because we've learned a lesson and we we want to make sure that we, we maintain this. Now, the fact of the matter is, though, that this created a rift between them that it tells us lasted through, let's see, through Cyrus's reign and into Darius's reign. And so that was the part here that when, when I was reading that, that was the part that uh, clued my brain into like, oh hey, this is happening at the same time that Daniel is in is in Babylon prophesying about all these weird end times things and having his you know you know looking at visions and dreams and stuff about crazy beasts and things. But it did it did seem to create a rift between them that lasted uh, for quite a while. So yeah, good, bad or otherwise, what they did, you know, it 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 had it had some consequences. Now it goes on and talks about king Xerxes or or Ahasuerus as it says it just depends on um, who's who you're who who, who you think who uh, not so much who you think you're talking about but um who's doing the telling because i think i'm trying to remember how this worked i think Ahasuerus was the hebrew name Xerxes was the mm, persian name uh, this is the same king that we will read about oh here in a few weeks with Queen Esther, that story of Esther, and I can't wait to get to that. Uh, also, the same king uh, of the story of the three hundred uh, Spartans, which we've briefly mentioned on here. It's not a biblical thing, but it's a fascinating story. But so, just to give us some context of who we're talking about now, is this king? It seems like this king is in between Cyrus and Darius. Am I right? I think I think I'm right on that. Yeah. We're gonna, um, we're, I think you're
0: right about it, too. I'm sorry. I would have to look it up, but I don't
1: remember. Yeah, I think so. Yep. So we're talking. So so but that's interesting to me because I don't remember Xerxes being mentioned in Daniel. Was he? Did I miss that? Or am I just forgetting? I don't. It seems like it went right from Cyrus to Darius. And yes,
2: you're correct. I don't remember him being mentioned in Daniel either.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting that Daniel doesn't really mention him because Xerxes was a pretty mm, big, big force at the time, and so interesting that he's not mentioned by Daniel. And I guess maybe, maybe Xerxes just wasn't receptive at all to God's calling, the way the others had been. I don't know. I only know the little bit I know about Xerxes, mostly from from uh, from Hollywood. So, which is <laughs> not to say that I have right a good. On a good grip on, on because because if anybody who's ever seen that movie, 300 knows that that is a very stylized telling of that story. It's honestly based on a comic book more than on the history, but the history is real. So, but, uh, but, but from what I know of that Xerxes very much was considering himself a God and, and uh, was probably not likely being terribly receptive to, to any out, word uh or, or or um outside influences to tell him otherwise and so maybe that's why maybe daniel was just sort of in the wings <laughs> waiting for god to to do something again
3: yeah it's in, in daniel 5 he it, it skips automatically from belshazzar i think to darius yeah
1: And so this is when uh, this this letter that Karen was telling us about got got written, basically saying, oh, these guys are building and they said in the rebellious and evil city. And if they build a city, they're not going to pay taxes. They're not going to give you tribute. They're not going to pay you custom. And if you look at your records, you'll see that your inhabitants in the past, they incited sedition. And this is why the city was destroyed in the first place. And if you let this happen, you're not going the king will not have any dominion beyond the Euphrates river. And the king responds is, I guess he must've looked at the records and yep, Jerusalem has revolted in the past. And even those Kings of Jerusalem had been paid their own taxes, tribute and custom. And so Xerxes gives a command to make them quit building. He says, basically stop building until I say otherwise, which meant that they didn't do anything on the temple again, until the second year of Darius. Okay. And so with, with that work ceased uh, until Darius uh, for now, I think we are going to, this is where we're going to uh, break off for this episode. And next week we will continue into Ezra chapter five. And uh, we'll be talking more about this Um, while you are waiting for us please remember you can reach out to us at ATTV podcast at the adventure.org. Just like our new friend, Jordan. Thank you again, Jordan, for that. I'm telling you, you have no idea how thrilled I was to get that. So, um, <laughs> Um, I would just
2: like to point out that Jordan was trying to be friends with you two months ago.
1: Well, that- yes, no, I know, and I'm a terrible <laughs> friend. I'm sorry, Jordan. I really, truly, am sorry about that. Not a
2: terrible
3: <laughs> friend. Not a terrible friend. Just not super responsive in a timely manner.
1: That's this is this is absolutely true. <laughs> but
3: still a good friend.
1: <laughs> so yes remember ATTV podcast at theadventure.org. look us up on Facebook where we post the podcast and every once in a while I, I have something else to share with with uh, with our listeners please make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feet each and every week and we look forward to talking to you again next week thanks for listening